0: I've always been suspicious of most things. I think I was raised in that particular fashion by my father. Uh, My dad, I never heard him call himself a conservative, but certainly he was a staunch Republican. But more than anything, above and beyond all that, he couldn't stand communism. He hated communism, hated Nazism even more. But of course, Nazism is a form of communism. Most people don't realize that. That he couldn't stand the federal government and their meddling in the affairs of common man. And that's, I think, how I became the guy I am today. Hi everybody, Brian Sussman here. Brian Sussman Show podcast, Faith, Family, Freedom. So where am I going with all of this? I'm going to talk about Ukraine. I've had a couple other podcasts where I looked at the situation with Russia and Ukraine from a different lens a different lens than you're getting from the mainstream media and even even much of so-called conservative media. I'm looking at things differently. I actually ended up deleting those podcasts because I didn't think I had the full picture and I was also getting a lot of negative response. The negative response I felt caused me to dig deeper to make sure I could get my ducks to line up in a row because I smell a rat. I really believe that we're not getting the real story as to what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. I heard a friend of mine talk about this on Newsmax. Um, he was in an interview on Newsmax and, and the, they basically cut him off before he got to his point. It's Michael Savage. Michael Savage from the Savage Nation. Michael Savage, of course, a San Francisco product. Michael and I worked from the same radio station for many, many years. He had the syndicated show. I had the local show on KSFO in San Francisco. Michael is a brilliant guy. There's no question about it. He is, uh, I, I believe he has two PhDs, and he's an academic first, and he is able to sift through the crap, the garbage, the melee, and get to the meat. And I think that's what he was trying to do with Ukraine. He said, hold it, hold it, hold it, friends. We have this story that's being brought forward that that Russia is bad, Putin is evil, and Ukraine is good. And he wasn't trying to downplay Russia as being bad or Putin as being evil. He wasn't doing that at all, but he was saying, don't say Ukraine is good because it's a very corrupt country. And it is. Indeed, it really is. It's terribly corrupt. And the United States has been meddling in Ukraine for decades. Ever since communism ended, the United States has been there. And what have we done? They remain corrupt. Their economy remains in shambles. And it is a, I know people don't want to hear this. They don't want to believe this. You can do the research for yourself. It's a hotbed of immorality. I'm thinking, for example, of child trafficking. So all that said, I found a couple articles that I think really do a wonderful job of talking to us about this situation in Ukraine. They're both from the Cato Institute, C-A-T-O, Cato.org is their website. Cato Institute is, they're conservative for sure, uh, but they're libertarian. They're more libertarian than staunch conservative. Uh, They... They do take contrary positions, but they back them up through wonderful research and great academic study. And the writers are really tremendous. I'm reading a commentary here from May 30th, 2021, May 30th, 2021. Now, this was long before, this is a year ago, this is long before, or almost a year ago, this is long before anything was going down between Russia and Ukraine that we heard about in the news here. But it begins by saying U.S. officials have long been fond of portraying Ukraine as a plucky democracy, fending off the menace of aggression from an authoritarian Russia. Washington's idealized image has never truly corresponded with the murkier reality, but the gap has now become a chasm. Several actions that President Vladimir Zelensky's government has taken in recent months are alarmingly authoritarian. I mean, it's absolutely true, friends. Some of the things he has done are are dictator-like. It's really true. Just you can't whitewash that. So getting back to this article, treating Ukraine as a useful U.S. security partner cannot be justified on the basis of realist calculations and is needlessly provocative towards Russia. Trying to portray Ukraine as a model democracy deserving U.S. protection on moral grounds is even more far-fetched. It isn't a model democracy, my right, friends? There is so much corruption in the government of Ukraine. And they may call themselves a democracy, but they're hardly a representative democracy like the United States of America. A lot of corruption. So again, trying to portray Ukraine as a model democracy deserving U.S. protection on moral grounds is even more far-fetched. Indeed, attempting to do so reflects either willful blindness or the worst of cynicism. Now, that's the beginning of the article. The article goes on to conclude by saying this. It is reckless to treat Ukraine as a U.S. ally on strategic grounds, and it is morally offensive to do so on the basis of alleged democrat- democratic solidarity. I'm going to repeat that. It's reckless to treat Ukraine as a U.S. ally on strategic grounds, and it is morally offensive to do so on the basis of alleged democratic solidarity. The Biden administration should jettison this increasingly odious client state as soon as possible. Now, I just read the beginning of the article and the end of the article. Uh, This flies in the face of everything you're hearing from the media in the United States, doesn't it? Well, there's another article here. It's much more recent. This is from April 6th, 2022. It's by the same, same author, Ted Galen Carpenter. Ted Galen Carpenter. It's entitled Whitewashing Ukraine's Corruption. Byline, subtitle, The country is not a symbol of freedom and liberal democracy. So let's continue this one. Statements from the United States and other Western officials, as well as pervasive accounts in the news media, have created a stunningly misleading image of Ukraine. Now, let me stop right there. I love the people of Ukraine. I do. I've given money to a couple of different organizations who are providing real, real solid relief on the ground in Ukraine. Ukraine. And these organizations are also doing something I think is important if you're going to be handing out food and clothing and providing shelter, then you need to talk to them about the God of hope and how that God of hope can provide them with the way and the truth and the life to get out of this mess and find real security, eternal security. Those groups, by the way, one of those groups, by the way, is Samaritan's Purse run by Franklin Graham. But all that said, let me just continue this. So I am all for the people of Ukraine, absolutely all for the people of Ukraine. There has been a concerted effort to portray the country not only as a victim of brutal Russian aggression, but as a plucky and noble bulwark of freedom and democracy conventional narrative would have us believe that Ukraine is an Eastern European version of Denmark. and That's anything but the truth, I add. Going back to the article, the promoters of that narrative contend that the ongoing war is not just a quarrel between Russia and Ukraine over Kiev's ambitions to join NATO and Moscow's territorial claims in Crimea and Donbass. No, they insist the war is part of a global struggle between democracy and authoritarianism. And Ukraine President Zelensky is a leader worthy of nothing less than Winston Churchill's legacy. In fact, in fact, President Biden, in his March 26th remarks on the war, said this. He said the conflict was, quote, a battle between democracy and autocracy, between liberty and repression, between a rules-based order and one governed by brutal force. So he's saying, Ukraine's a democracy. Ukraine's all about liberty. Ukraine's all about a rules-based order. And friends, I, I hate to burst the bubble, but that's really not the truth. And, and then you get these ridiculous accounts coming from, for example, CNN. CNN's John Blake literally compared Ukraine's cause to America in its revolutionary war. <laughs> no. No, no, no. The truth of the matter is Ukraine has long been one of the more corrupt countries in the international system. Ukraine is far from being a democratic capitalist model and an irresistible magnet for Russia's groaning masses. Again, it's a corrupt country. It's an, there's an annual report that comes out on the most corrupt countries. In the most recent report, January 2022, Transparency International ranked Ukraine 123rd of 180 countries it examined. It had a score of 32 on a 1 to 100 point scale. That's for corruption. It's a bottom feeder. By comparison, notoriously corrupt Russia. Yeah, There's a lot of corruption there. Ranked just a little bit lower, 139. So Ukraine, 123. Russia, 139. They had a score of 32. Russia, uh, Ukraine had a score of, excuse, excuse me, Russia had a score of 29. Ukraine had a score of 32. Their track record, Ukraine's track record of protecting democracy and civil liberties is not much better than its performance on corruption. Freedom House does a wonderful survey. It has a 2022 report that listed Ukraine as partly free. They're looking at free countries, just across the board free. Freedom of speech, freedom of movement, free economy. Ukraine had a score of 61 out of a possible 100. They are partly free. Other countries in that category include Places like the Philippines. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing. Serbia, Hungary, Singapore. So they're really not doing great when it comes to overall freedom. And one would think, well, you know, they'll get better. They'll get better. They haven't ever seen. Communism. When communism fell, it left that part of the world, the Baltic states, a mess. There's no question. They, they were left a mess. An absolute horrible mess by Russian communism and they're trying to dig their way out but my point again is this the United States has been there supposedly helping to try dig them out all these decades now and it ain't working what in the heck is the United States doing there is this is it all part of a money laundering operation I don't know is it all part of using this country in terms of promoting the great economic recess? I don't know. But even before this most recent war erupted, there were ugly examples of authoritarianism in Ukraine's political governance. You had the Maiden Revolution in 2014. Just months after this revolution, there were efforts to smother domestic critics. So if you were a Ukrainian critic of the government government, Many got smothered, Many were, some were jailed. Ukrainian and officials harassed political dissidents, adopted censorship measures, barred foreign journalists. Offensive actions were criticized by groups like Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International, to, but to no avail, to no avail. This is what they were doing. They were smothering free speech. They were smothering the free, uh, the freedom of the press. And the neo-Nazi Azov Battalion was an integral part of President Poroshenko's military and his security apparatus. It's absolutely true. There are neo-Nazis in Ukraine. When you think about this, they're basically just two generations at most removed from their Nazi forefathers in World War II who killed hundreds of thousands, might we say millions? I don't have those exact figures before me, but what happened in Ukraine to the Jews was just awful, as well as other groups, the Poles, the Gypsies, and some others. But can I tell you something? The neo Nazi Azov Battalion, an integral part of Poroshenko's military, that's the president before Zelensky, um, it has retained that role during Zelensky's presidency. They haven't been been kicked out, they haven't been stopped. These neo Nazis have, have seats in the parliament. So these are things that you have to look at carefully. Now, again, I just want to stop and say this. I'm for the people of Ukraine. They deserve better. They deserve better. I'm not saying that Russia is the good guy here. I'm just saying you need to see the bigger picture. You know, it's entirely appropriate to sympathize with the Ukrainians because They are experiencing a lot of suffering because of Vladimir Putin's decision to launch war. No question about that. Please hear me. Hear me. Whatever the levels of provocations from the United States and its NATO allies, and Ukraine's willingness to collaborate with those provocations, Russia's response was clearly over the top. It created a dangerous breach of the peace in Europe. It's a humanitarian catastrophe no question. But we're getting this false narrative from our politicians and the media regarding Ukraine. Ukraine's not a symbol of freedom. It's not a liberal democracy. At best, Ukraine is a corrupt, quasi-democratic entity with troubling, repressive policies. And so you continue to see Americans to called to, call to stand for Ukraine. I'm watching I'm watching uh, Channel 2 in San Francisco uh, yesterday, I'm watching their newscast. And at the lower left-hand corner of the screen, they have a QR and it says, and a, and a Ukrainian flag, and it says, stand with Ukraine. So in other words, you could take your phone up to the TV, get the QR, and, and figure out how to stand with Ukraine. Again, the people are getting just shafted there. But to stand with Ukraine, what does that mean? It's it's not a great country. So giving that sobering reality, when we hear calls from our politicians to stand with Ukraine, I believe those calls are misplaced. Because I'm just afraid what is happening here is we're getting increasing doses of propaganda rhetoric fed to us on a regular basis because perhaps those people at the very top of the global food chain would like a war. And perhaps they're talking us into that war right now to send our troops to that part of the world to fight the Russians in a war. To save Ukraine. I'm I'm bothered by that. I'm really bothered by that because it's just not a great country. And we've been in that country for decades, as I've said, three times now. And what have we done? What is really happening here? Could it be? I'm just going to ask some questions because these are the questions I'm asking myself on a daily basis. Could it be that the, the people at the top of the food chain, I'm talking about all of the, the world leaders that are a part of the World Economic Forum, as well as very, very wealthy elite individuals who are pulling strings left, right, and center, could it be that they really do want a war? If so, why? Why would they want a war? Could it be that they would like a war to completely have an opportunity to reset the economy? Is it because they want a war to depopulate the world? I know that sounds ludicrous, but I'm just telling you, I wrote about this extensively in my book, Climategate. There was a a book put out in the 1960s, The Population Bomb, bestseller. The author of that book, I'm not even going to mention his name, the author of that book ended up becoming a professor emeritus at Stanford. He said, and his book was lapped up by all the elites worldwide, he said that the ideal population for planet Earth was 600 million people, to which I just asked more questions. Well, how are you going to get there? How are you going to get to 600 million? Is it going to be a war, nuclear war? What, what is it going to be? Are you going to starve people? Maybe it will be a, a pandemic. What, what will it be? How will we get to that magic number? Could this be what's, what's happening with these evil people around the world who are pulling strings regarding perhaps starting a World War III? I don't know. I want to share with you a Bible verse that seems apropos. This is from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, New Testament. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. That's who I believe we're fighting with at this particular time in world history. And so what does the Bible say? Well, it says, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. That's one Bible verse I'd like to share with you. And here's yet another to close. This is Jesus talking, and isn't it interesting? We have Easter coming up on Sunday, Passover on Saturday. Easter, of course, uh, commemorates Jesus' death and resurrection. And quite frankly, <laughs> the Passover also speaks of these very things. This is Jesus. This is Jesus the night before he's going to be crucified. It's a, it, these are his parting words to his disciples, And they're all very curious about the last days. And Jesus says this, see to it that no one misleads you. See, I think it's very, very good to keep your head on the swivel, friends. I think it's so good to question things. Do your own research. Don't take the party line. Don't buy the propaganda. Jesus said, see to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and will mislead many. How many people are out there right now saying they've got all the answers? I am he. I'm the one with the answers. Quite a few. And then he says immediately thereafter, he says, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be frightened. Those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. Wars and rumors of wars. For nation will rise up against nation, kingdom against kingdom, There will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then he says, be on your guard. Be on your guard. That's from Matthew chapter 13. Friends, let's don't freak out. But instead, let's stand firm. Let's be on our guard. And let's seek the truth. In fact, I'm thinking of the Passover, I'm thinking of Easter, and I'm thinking of the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for allowing me to share my thoughts. Brian Sussman Show podcast, Faith, Family, Freedom. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share it. More on me at Sussman. .com God bless you